Are you ready to start living richer? Well, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Live Richer podcast, hosted by Jamie Catmull, a podcast created for people to challenge and manage their ideas of wealth, culture, and money across the world, bringing you the best personal finance advice to make more, save more, and live richer. Now, here's your host, Jamie Catmull. From his active duty as a Green Beret to president of digital bank, Genius Bank, John Rosenfeld understands how to get things done to assure a promising future. Coming up, John shares important insight into why traditional banking is being pushed out the door and how to identify the banking solution that's right for your personal needs. John, I just have to start right out of the gate and ask you, how does someone who is a Green Beret choose banking afterwards? I I didn't choose banking. I chose management, right? I like to manage things, but I also, I was an engineer before I was a Green Beret. And so I love the idea of building things. And then I found out I love the, the, even more, I love the idea of leading a larger team to build things. So I'm a builder and, you know, almost every job I've ever had, my energy made, went towards making things better or creating something new. On a special forces team, it's a team of about 12 people. You have the commander, the officer, then you, you typically have a warrant officer and you have a team sergeant, which is kind of the, your leadership team. But then you'll have two medics, you'll have two weapon specialists, you'll have two engineers, you'll have two communication specialists, you'll have an intel specialist. And, and it's designed so you can actually split into two sub teams, each with an expert in each of those areas. So that's how SF works. In my world, I have a similar setup. I have a head of marketing. I have a head of product design. I have a head of financial planning. I have a head of information security and cybersecurity. Somebody is in charge of anti-money laundering. Somebody else is in charge of consumer compliance and risk management and credit risk. I mean, we have specialists in a number of different areas and, and we rely upon all of them to bring it all together and deliver something truly special. So it's the same concept. You see a lot of leaders who they think they are the expert and you wonder why do they hire these people if you're the expert? I mean, what do you say to that or to those leaders? If you don't surround yourself with people that can do things you can't do, you'll never be be able to amplify or multiply your output, right? If If you're the one that has to make every decision, then think about how big a choke point that becomes. So yeah, don't be the choke point. That's my advice. Banking has had some major cultural shifts in the last four years. Where do you think we're heading as far as banking goes in this current situation? Well, I think there's two major trends that, uh, I mean, are, uh, can't, can't be disputed. I mean, one is we're becoming more digital. So everything from how you bank to how, you know, the bank serves you and, and responds to you and, you know, executes transactions uh, is moving more and more digital you know, papers going away, et cetera, et cetera. We can get into more depth on that. The other big trend is, you know, I think of it as decentralization. So the average consumer 25, 30 years ago had a relationship with a single bank. Uh, In fact, uh, you know, I, I remember my first mortgage, the way I selected my bank was my realtor, after we selected the house, drove me to the bank that she was going to have me get my mortgage from. And that became my bank for everything. Now that's 30 years ago. So I think now the average consumer, I think the latest stat I saw 
has relationships with like 5.7 banks. Five banks. Now, do you think that's a good idea? I do. I think it leads to more competition, uh, which forces you know the banks to be more competitive and to, to strive to uh, elevate their game uh, and provide better services and more broad services. I also think the winning banks are, are starting to realize that to, to, to be able to get more of a customer's business, i.e. more products, they have to create a synergy effect or a network effect, much like Apple has done with all of its devices. I mean, every time you add an Apple device, it already works with everything else in your house within your ecosystem. And I think you know the smart banks are starting to realize customers are not just going to bring their next need to you because you happen to have their checking account. We have to create value for that customer to bring it to you. So how do you think technology is shaping that? Well, technology is making it easier to do. It's also replacing the, the analog models of old, if you will. So just last year in 2023, 2,500 branches closed down in America. And that's obvious that it's driven by the fact that fewer and fewer people are driving down the street to their branch to do something. Now they're doing it through their computer, through their laptop, through the mobile app, potentially even just calling in and doing it through an automated service. So, you know, I think technology is making that more possible. And then obviously the, the, the pandemic kind of accelerated all that because people didn't want to go down the street. They were, you know, there was concerns about, you know, getting sick. Um, so a lot of people that hadn't tried some of those services before are trying them now and have become dependent upon them now. I think you're correct when you say that technology has really changed how we bank and the pandemic has changed that for so many of us. But then there's the question, how do we choose the right bank when it comes to our savings and our investing needs? You hear we have five or seven banks, you just said, right? We're choosing from. How do you choose the right one? How does the consumer know which one's the best for them, which one their money's safe with? I mean, that's been a big concern in the last little while. And we have a lot of different banks popping up all the time. So how do we know what bank to choose and is right for us and safe for us? It's a very good question. I, I think a lot of customers choose banks um, by either who their friends or family members recommend, or they go on to websites like Go Banking Rates. I mean, there's a number of these, ag what we call aggregator sites, which are like, you know, food courts for financial services. You know, I, and that's why I always think of it because it kind of shows you all of the the, the offers from different uh, banks, and you can kind of compare them based on obviously price or rates, uh, what fees may or may not be applicable, what services are available, do they have a minimum account opening balance, will they give you checks or not, will you get a debit card or not? So I mean, there's a lot of features that drive it. It's kind of like buying a car. Do you want you know AC? Do you want the the chrome you know rims? Do you want the white wall tires? Okay. I think I just dated myself with white wall tires, but you know what I mean. It's really a difficult decision when it comes to choosing a bank. And with so many options nowadays, I think people really have to evaluate what's right for them if it be the rate, right? Some people are rate shoppers. Other people, maybe they're into the technology who has the best services for me. Or maybe there's people that want to do more than one thing there, right? They want to be able to get their mortgage and they want to do investing and savings. With technology advancing, a question I always have is, how do I know I'm going to be able to get somebody on the phone? And is that important when it comes to online banking? I personally think it's very important, but it's interesting because 
there's three different banking models that have kind of evolved. You have traditional banking, which is where you have a branch or, or some people call it brick and mortar banking. That's a very high cost basis business because of the branches, because many of them are still using paper to send statements. Although, you know, they're trying to encourage customers to accept digital statements, but they also have ATMs and they have other buildings where they do processing and transactions, et cetera. Then you have digital banks, which, you know, many of the, which don't even allow you to have paper. I mean, you have to accept that you're not going to get paper from them. You have to accept that there's no branch that you can go to. Of course, you can still go to an ATM, um, but you can't go to their branch. Um, and then there's this kind of these uh, really, uh, how do I say this? I'll call them neobanks, which are way out uh, on the, uh, the other end of the spectrum where they don't even make it possible to call them, right? And so it's a far more limited service. Um, and, you know, some customers don't, aren't quite ready for that. They want someone to be able to ask a question. They want to under, understand, is your bank FDIC insured? They'd like to hear that from a person rather than seeing it on a website. Um, so that's one of the reasons at Genius Bank, we decided we're going to not only have a phone number, we're going to put it right up front on the, on the homepage. Because I found digital banks out there that, it's nearly impossible to find a phone number to even reach them. That's really scary. Do you only have an online bank or do you have a brick and mortar one, an online one? What do you do as the CEO of a major bank? What are you doing? So I, right now, we're not offering checking accounts and I need a checking account. So I do have a checking account. Uh, actually, I have many checking accounts and many <laughs> savings accounts because it's part of my research. I, I like to see how other banks are operating. But my, my, you know, one of my preferences was probably the oldest digital bank in the country, and that's USAA, because I was a former military officer. They really did a phenomenal job of serving um, military and or retired military. And so I really valued that. Uh, and the reason I say they're probably the first digital bank was they only, I think they've only had one branch as long as they've been in existence. And they served me when I was in Germany. They served me when I was at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. They served me at Fort Knox. It was never an issue. So, you know, I do think that met my needs and every person has different needs. Uh, but I, I'll tell you, all of my savings is at digital banks. So typically, digital banks are offering much more competitive rates than brick and mortar banks. In fact, in the savings realm, digital banks are typically offering 4 to 5% right now uh, at the beginning of 2024. And brick and mortar banks are mostly under 1%. In fact, I know, I think the national average is only about 10 basis points. And, you know, that 10 basis points is, is actually one-tenth of 1%. Uh, so, there's a pretty big difference between what you can get from either of those banking models. And I just think sometimes just you're not paying attention or they're not aware that they could get a better rate somewhere else. And what do you think people should do or when should they reevaluate their banking situation? I would tell them every day. I mean, go, go to your, you know, go online, go on your mobile phone and f look up your account. And then a lot of times you might have to uh, click on a link that says account details. And in there, it'll show your APY, which is how much you should expect to earn in, a, in one year. Um, and if your APY is less than a percent, and you have a significant amount of money sitting there, I would highly recommend you consider other options um, because there are plenty of digital banks today 
that are 100% FDIC insured. Um, they provide exceptional service. Again, the catch is you don't get branches, you don't get paper, you don't get all those things. But for your long-term savings, do you really need it? I mean, you can move money in and out overnight practically. I think some people are just lazy. So how hard is it to do it? <laughs> I mean, some, I'm going to talk about myself personally. I'm going to be honest. Sometimes it's like, oh, it's just too much work to move it. But John, convince me, tell me how easy is it and what would I have to do to do that? So it's, it's very easy. I mean, the, the good digital banks, you can open an account in five minutes. And that includes setting up your online credentials, your username and password, as well as initiating a transfer of money. You don't have to go to your other bank. You know, most of the digital banks, I think all of them, allow you to transfer money via ACH, which is electronic transfer. And it's very secure. So super easy, super fast. Because I didn't realize that's all you have to do. So I just would go open it up and then I can just do a digital transfer immediately. I just did it with my dad the other night. He wanted to try out my new, my new bank. And I said, well, let's open an account, Pops. And he's 83. And I said, but I'm not going to touch the phone. This is all on you. And he did it all on his phone while he was sitting in my kitchen. Uh, he set up his account. He moved you know, some money into the account. Uh, he saw it come out of his other account the next day, et cetera. So it's, you know, setting it up is, is, is actually really easy. Far easier, by the way, than walking into a branch and waiting 30 minutes to oh, get yeah. someone to fill out the forms on their computer. I've done it and it's not fun. Which one do you think is the most dominant right now and will continue to be dominant going into the future? Online or brick and mortar? Do you think we'll have both going strong or do you think we're just going to completely shift over? Do you think people are going to be like, hey, you know what? I want to talk to somebody. Or, I mean, where do you think this is going and what do you see 10 years from now? How will we yeah, be banking? I think we'll probably have all the same models we have today. But they'll evolve. And the, the, the number of customers that are doing certain things at some traditional banks will probably be less and, and more of them will use, be using digital banks. I mean, I saw a stat that 71% of Americans prefer to do their banking through a mobile app or on their PC. So and a huge number of people are doing their day-to-day -day banking. But I do think that there's a number of people that like to go face-to-face -face with people especially when they're making more complex decisions, you know, whether it be setting up a trust, do I need a trust, you know, or putting beneficiaries on their account. They want to make sure it's right. And, you know, don't get me wrong, you can see it on your web screen and, and check it yourself. But there, I think there's always going to be some services that people prefer to do kind of in person or in a more personal way. So I don't think that branches are going to disappear. And I used to manage 800 branches for one of the biggest banks in America. And, and I saw the value that they add in that interpersonal relationships. But you don't need that for money that's going to sit for 10 years and you're not going to touch because you're saving it for retirement. One thing I've always wondered, and maybe you can answer it honestly for me, John. You know, a lot of people tell me that it's good to go to a local bank or a community bank because they have a relationship with you. Does a relationship really matter when it comes to getting a business loan or a mortgage, or is it only based on my credit score and my employment history? I mean, can they actually do anything extra for me because they know me and I banked there a long time? So there is absolutely discretion in banking. Now, I got to be careful with this because there are very specific regulations 
about what criteria can be and cannot be used to make credit decisions. Um, but I'll also tell you that banks can choose to take different levels of risk. And so a national bank that's doing lending uh, at fully automated is likely to set their criteria a little tighter, not from a regulatory standpoint, but rather from, from a risk standpoint. So how much risk they're willing to take. Whereas a local community bank you know, may have a different risk appetite with regards to local businesses that they w- see every day they drive by. So yes, there are some benefits to banking with community banks in your local community if you're seeking a business loan. If you're you know, seeking a, uh, an, you know, a different type of loan, that, there may be no difference. Um, but there also may be benefits if you get a fee that, you know, and you know the person at the branch, they may be willing to waive it if it was a, a you know, once in an infrequent mistake. Or you can just choose a digital bank that has no fees and then you don't have to worry about that part. So if I probably didn't get it online on the digital bank, chances are I probably won't get the loan inside the bank. Yes or no, John? Probably. <laughs> probably right. Yeah. I mean, credit score is probably the, the age old uh, mechanism. I, I think when you have, let's say, a younger customer that has what we call a thin file, they don't have a lot of history with credit. Some banks are using different types of information to help inform the bank about the level of risk. Uh, but to your point, if your credit score is, is something that prevents you from getting a loan, it's probably going to be a problem wherever you go. What do you think is the best way for someone to manage their finances? We just talked about credit score, right? So how should they be banking and what are some things they can do to do that, to manage their personal finances? Yeah, my greatest advice would be you got to do what works for you. You know, one of the things I loved doing as a banker was meeting with customers. And and I love doing focus groups where you get five or six of them around a table and you talk about, well, why do you do this? What do you do? How do you do that? And uh, I'll tell you two funny stories. One uh, woman told me that she opened an account at this little community bank about 45 minutes away from her home. And that's where she kept all her savings. And I go, do you have the ability to transfer money out like overnight? And she goes, no, I have to drive there. In fact, I I didn't even accept a debit card. And I was like, why? And she said, because I want to have the 45 minutes to decide whether I really want to take money out of my savings account. So it was, it was like a control that she put in place, right? I thought that one was pretty funny. That's but actually then a good I, idea. Sit there before you do it. Give yourself some time to really think, do I want to do this? Absolutely. I, I, I heard another one that's even funnier. A person told me that they take their credit cards and they put them in an ice tray and they fill it with water and put it in the freezer. And now if they want to use that credit card, they have to wait till the ice melts or they're going to have a really wet, you know, the spot on their pocket <laughs> when they take it to the bank. But the whole idea was creating some internal or kind of self-imposed friction that makes you think twice before spending money that you may be saving for other ideas. But when it comes to, you know, back to your question, how, you know, should people bank today? I, I, I personally think you should shop around for every need you have. And ideally, your bank should either give you a better deal than another bank or the, the fact that you would consider your existing bank it has to create some synergy back to that network effect we talked about that's going to make it easier. For example, is it easier to move money back and forth between accounts? Within a bank, you can move it instantly. Between banks, it usually takes you know overnight, 24 hours. 
So John, being a CEO of a, ma- of a of a bank, an online bank, what are you guys trying to do when it comes to the future? Any new products, anything new, fun, exciting things that maybe people will help them financially? Just curious. Yeah. So we've only been around for about, a, you know, actually less than a year. Uh, we're offering personal loans and savings today, which if you think about it, we've basically built the rails for the future. So we built the ability to lend money and we built the ability to save money. And so we can do the, the basics right now. Um, and we'll continue to expand our product offerings and we'll launch our mobile app uh, this, this year in 2024 and a number of other things. But one of the things I'm really excited about is something that we call evolved banking. So if you think of all the stuff that you do as a regular bank, I think of that as basic banking, right? Or core banking. So the ability to put money in, get money out, pay a bill, you know, deposit a check, that's all core banking. Now, what if I were to tell you, hey, would you like to click here and see all of your current subscriptions that you know, you're paying something for? And you could see them all in one place. You could turn them on and off from, that, from your bank's website. That to me is evolved banking. The average bank doesn't offer that, right? And, and I'm just sharing with you some of the concepts, uh, what we call aggregation, the ability to bring information from your other banks all into a single website and view it all in one place while remaining 100% secure. For example, right now, your credit card company or your bank may be able to tell you how much you spent on coffee over the last year because they, they may have put in the tools that allow you to you know, uh, sort by merchant code, pull up all the coffee shops, and they can tell you, Jamie, he drank too much coffee last year, right? <laughs> That's possible. But no bank in America that I know of today can tell you how much you spend on coffee across all of your banks, across all of your credit cards, all of your debit cards. That's the concept that I want to build, which is the ability to give you insights across your entire financial life, all from one place. I felt like I've signed up for a lot of things, right, that are on auto payments. And I don't even know what they are. I know. I'm one of, I shouldn't be telling people this. I don't know what they are, but I know they're all coming out. And I want to know where they all are and what I've paid and what's going on. But I've used different cards, right? So I'm trying to figure out how can I manage all this? So that would be a huge thing for people, I think, because you really don't know how much is going to this subscription here, this little thing here that you pay, especially monthly. I, cause I have them set up on different deals and that was a bad idea, but I think that would be great. How would you do that? Is it just like a website or an app you're going to create? I'm just curious. So my intent is to embed it within the banking experience. And it's really around giving insights, advice, and tips to consumers based on observations that we can make about how they're spending or saving their money. Now you can link your account from another bank by basically logging in using your username and password, and you've probably already linked your bank to other things like some of these services that you might have enrolled for. So it's the same level of security. Um, and you know we take security incredibly seriously at Genius Bank. So the idea is that once you've linked your other banks, we can pull your transaction data, we can look at it all collectively, and then using advanced analytics, we can start to look for those things like you just mentioned. What's a subscription versus a one-time dinner bill, right? We can tell from the merchant code. We can tell from the amount of money. We can tell from the frequency. We can tell by how the transaction is coded, whether it's a recurring transaction or not. And just imagine for a second, if you take AI and you start to use AI to analyze all this and you, you 
the power of how quickly we can give consumers advice and guidance and tips and insights uh, is going to you know accelerate dramatically. Now, I'm not talking about letting AI do your banking for you. I'm talking about using AI and analytics to give you better insights and help you gain a better understanding of where your money is going. I think that's what we all want is that technology and the banks can help us manage our money better. How do we save more money? How do we be smarter with our money so that we have money? You know, especially with things being so tight and inflation still being high and we really don't see anything really changing. How do we make our dollar stretch farther? And I think one of those ways is simply by doing some of those things you said and having technology really work for us. And if our bank can help us with that, who's always been like supposed to be the enemy, that would be awesome. Well, it's, it's, I'm glad you said that. It's funny you said the enemy. Uh, I think some people do think of their bank as an enemy when they get like a fee, like they overdraft their account or they get a late transaction or late payment fee, et cetera. And then it just feels bad because, you know, the customer probably realized they did, didn't do something quite right, but they're getting penalized by their bank. So, you know, I, I, I think there's, there's an interesting dynamic because the, a lot of traditional banks make a lot of money from fees. So how motivated are they to help you avoid those fees, right? So that's one of the reasons digital banks really have, uh, for the most part, very few fees because they're trying to differentiate themselves from the traditional brick and mortar banks. Uh, and at Genius Bank, I, have, I can not only help you avoid any fees with us because we don't charge any, but I can also tell you that uh, from looking at that account data, that your paycheck isn't coming until Friday and your car payment is due Thursday. If you don't do something different, you're about to overdraft your account. We can see that at another bank and give you a heads up, whereas that other bank may be far less motivated to do so because they're going to lose fee revenue. That'd be awesome to alert <laughs> somebody, right? Hey, we see this coming in. You don't have enough money in here. Are you going to be okay? You know, because sometimes people just aren't aware that maybe they set something up on auto payment or have a payment coming out or different things. Things like that do happen. I've had it happen to me. I'll be honest. And think about it. Those two transactions I just mentioned, the car payment and your paycheck, those probably have been happening for months, right? So these aren't new things. It's not a surprise. Any bank should have been able to see that coming. But which banks do and which banks actually give you a heads up that it's about to happen? I don't think any. I bank with quite a few. So I'm yeah. like, I don't think they ever alert me on anything, but that'd be really cool if they did. And I think that's one thing, like you said, digital and where I think we'll see more banks going. And as digital banks like yours and others put pressure on these brick and mortar banks, these large, you know, been around for hundreds of year banks, they're going to have to do something or people are going to be leaving. They're going to want to come all, everybody will be like, I'm going digital because they actually care about me. Because I think that means a lot to people right now is to feel like the bank is providing something more for them than just a place to put their money so they can swipe their card when they need to or use their Apple Pay. I mean, they, it has to have a, provide some type of service for them. But, you know, I think people care about that type of stuff. And I, now I know I need to start searching for rates better and that it's easy. I honestly, I, I work at Go Banking Race, you guys. I, you'd think I would know that it's super easy just to transfer my money to a different savings account. But I always thought, oh, it would take me too long and I don't have time. But today I'm going to actually go do it. So thank you, John, for that little bit of advice. And I also ask all of my guests one specific question, and that is, what does living richer mean to you? Living richer. What do you think about 
Well, it, it's funny that one of the reasons I loved the fact that you invited me to this podcast was our mission actually has the words help our customers live a richer life. So we, you know, <laughs> and so I, I just, it, it, we couldn't be more aligned. Now, when I say live a richer life, what I really mean is it's not just about having more money. It could be having more time. It could be having uh, better experiences. It could be feeling more confident and secure in where you are in your life. And so, you know, I think that's what I, to me it means is having more confidence and security is, is worth more than, you know, having more money in the bank. I really like that a lot, John. That's one of the major reasons people get depressed or they get sad or different things is that lack of confidence that can literally paralyze people. You know what I mean? I'm sure you yeah. know what I'm talking about, John, there. I love that. Um, one last thing I just want to remind everybody is when you're going about your day, please just remember that someone always cares about you no matter who you are and that there's always a way out no matter where you're going and that there's people like John and me who are out there trying our hardest so that you can live a richer life. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Before you go, we'd love for you to subscribe to our show to catch all of our updates. Also, we want to hear from you. What are your burning questions about money and how to live your best life? Reach us at livericherpod at gobankingrates.com.